0: Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure offsite backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical
1: transcriptions or tape recording.
0: This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard.
1: Everybody love everybody.
0: We will call it the golden standard, and this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Steyers. I like that guy. Hey, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that head. It's a good
2: time, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: On Sports Radio, 960
2: AM, double. West B. T. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare chested banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Stiers. Well, hello there. How you doing today? Welcome to a brand new week. First of the final four days of March, which means first weekend of April is coming up this weekend, which means... The Final Four. Men's and women's both going on this weekend. Men's Final Four Saturday. Superdome and Nolan's. bunch of Blue Bloods. Kansas versus Villanova in the early game. 6.09. Then Duke and North Carolina around 9 o'clock Saturday night. Both games you'll be able to hear here on Sports Radio 9:60 a.m. WSBT. And uh, all four teams have won national championships since two thousand. Eight. They've been to multiple Final Fours in the process as well in Notre Dame, uh, or not Notre Dame, but Women's National Semifinals Friday night, the championship game next Sunday. We'll talk about Notre Dame women's basketball here in a few minutes. You'll hear from Fighting Irish head coach Neil Ivey, but first... Spring football practice continues at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman talked to the media after Saturday's practice, and here is what excites the new Fighting Irish head football coach the most, he says,
0: right now. they hard workers, man. I think that's what you want to continue to see as a group that's not satisfied, that, that you know, they, they continue to work, right? They work on practice days. They work when they're not practicing. They're, they're always finding a way to get better. And so um, they're a competitive group. They're a physical group. Um just continue to push and keep working and prepare, prepare, prepare,
2: prepare, 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 competitive and physical and uh, didn't get to see the practice Saturday. I didn't get to because I was out of town with women's basketball and again, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, was able to, uh, to kind of uh, talk to some people who were there and glean some other things. And of course, listening to Marcus Freeman as well, that whole uh, physicality, which kind of leads into the next thing marcus freeman uh that, that you'll hear from him about things to challenge the team with right now
0: yeah continue to practice at a high level continue to compete against each other but take care of each other right and that's the challenge is that this is a physical group a competitive group how can we continue to do that but take care of each other we have to make sure that we're doing everything in our power to take care of each other and make sure we all make the game injuries are part of this game all right when you're practicing at a high level it, it Injuries happen, but let's prevent as many injuries that we can.
2: Yeah, if you're practicing at a high level, injuries happen. And it's kind of in reference to uh I, I believe a hit that Lorenzo Styles took from DJ Brown. There was kind of an errant pass from Tyler Buckner and DJ Brown, it sounded like really teed off on Lorenzo Styles, and Styles is down on the ground for a while. It sounded like he had the wind knocked out of him. And uh, Styles has to leave the field, and you know you just can't, you just can't maul your own guys at football practice. That's what it comes down to, it especially in. Uh, it, well will never, you just you know you, you can't do it. Why do you think they put the red jerseys on the quarterbacks to prevent that kind of stuff? You can't put red jerseys on everybody though, but you also have to. Uh, be able to exercise some discretion you can't tee off on your own guys and it sounds like that's what DJ Brown did and then uh, Styles not all too happy about it afterwards don't blame him but uh, you know things got physical and and uh they as Marcus Freeman said they're competitive they're physical they do all those different kind of things but you got to take care of your own guys at the same time as for Saturday's practice who impressed Marcus Freeman the most
0: yeah those kickers. They did a good job, both of them, putting the ball through the the field goal post. That's that's something that – it was the first time they did it live, and I think it went 4-4-4 in a live situation. So it was really good to see. Um, Individually, offense, defense, I don't – I got to go back and watch the film. You know, it's just – Really, right now I'm running around there trying to make sure we're spotting the ball the right way and everybody's on the same page. So I don't get a chance to really evaluate it so much on the field as much as when I get off the field. But it was good to see those kickers put the ball through the field goal, folks.
2: Yep, got to go watch a little uh, practice film and and uh, check that out. But uh, kickers, who um, you know, you heard him talk about there, Josh Bryan, Blake Group, the uh, the grad transfer from Arkansas State, special teams um, coordinator Brian Mason said afterwards he was pleased with both of those guys as well, and uh, he said they went five for six during a live portion of the practice, according to uh, uh, Mason. Brian is a rising sophomore at again. Groupy is is a guy, a grad transfer from Arkansas State. So you've got a young guy and a guy with a lot of experience. Brian, four years of eligibility remaining. He was a freshman this past season. So. I think he got into one game last year. The big, the big thing going on during this spring, though, is the quarterback competition. Of course, you've got the youngster Tyler Buckner and the guy who's just a little bit older, Drew Pine. Um, neither one of them overly experienced. Both of them saw action this past season, though, in uh, different roles for defining Irish, and you've got a quarterback competition now. Marcus Freeman talking about it going on this spring.
0: It's great. It's it's, it's a great battle. And, it's you know, as a defensive coordinator, you look to two things. right? You look for touchdowns, you look for interceptions. When you look at an opposing quarterback, and when you become a head coach, you learn that's just a little part of the game. And, and it's about decision making. And so it's really, it, for me, it's the ability to go back with Coach Reese after practice and talk through it and say, okay, hey, Um, what decisions were they making, whether the right ones or the ones you wanted, and really just kind of pick his mind on it, but it's been good, and I've done a great job.
2: So uh, impressed with both of the quarterbacks, as you would expect, and uh, you know, both of them out there, sounds like they've got a a pretty good relationship, working together, doing all those different things. What impressed him about the quarterbacks,
0: though? What you keep hearing me say is that healthy competition, those guys that are able to compete against each other, they're all buying for one spot. But they help each other. They coach each other. They're pushing each other. And that's to me a credit to Coach Reese and, and that room and the trust they've developed within each other, but also understanding that, hey, we're going to support whoever's on that field. We're going to push each other to become great at whatever we're doing. So um, it's been really good to see um, that room continue to, to grow together, but also compete against each other.
2: Yeah. And uh, the old guy, Jack Cohn, was out there as well. Of course, Jack Cohn, not part of the competition, but he was at practice. Saturday, and, uh, you know, was kind of out there with the quarterbacks and things like that. And Marcus Freeman asked how that old veteran, Jack Cohn, who's hoping to be drafted here in about a month or so, how can he help the current quarterbacks?
0: Yeah, I think that's a representation of what we want for the entire program is those guys that have come through this building, come through this campus and been a part of Notre Dame, they come back and they they pay it forward to this current team, right? That's what I want. That's That's my vision for – this entire Notre Dame football program past and present is that, Hey, we are all in this together. So Jack Cone coming back and, and giving his knowledge to the current quarterbacks is, is what it's all about. And I think that's a, a great representation of what I view is, is this program should be about.
2: A lot of wisdom he can impart Jack Cone. And of course he was with both of those guys this past season. So, uh, you know, and they just had the pro day a couple of days ago as well. So probably part of why he was hanging around and, and watching practice out there Saturday, and hanging out with the quarterbacks, and seeing what he can do to help out with whichever quarterback it happens to be. And one final thought today from Marcus Freeman: This, of course, is we've kind of I think I think it was last week anyway. We talked a little bit about it about the fact that this staff is together for the first time this spring with all these new guys who were brought in on the staff, whether it's Terry Heastan coming back or Al Golden coming over from the Cincinnati Bengals, Brian Mason coming over from Cincinnati, Al Washington, um, all these different guys, you know, they're, they're together for the first time. And how's that staff coming together right now?
0: I've been really pleased, Brian. Um, you know, after practice, I like to go sit in with each staff and kind of just listen to them talk and communicate. And, and it's been really, really good to hear the way they communicate, the way they challenge each other in a respectful way to make sure we're always looking to find a better way. And, um, I'm really, really pleased with everybody amongst the staff and they've done a great,
2: done a great job. I don't know why that got cut off there at the end, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that new staff working together for the first time and, and, uh, continuing that and guys getting used to them and, uh, some different, uh, different things, different philosophies that, uh, that uh, they are kind of able to impart on this team as as, uh, they work with these players for the first time and work together for the first time as well. We'll talk more Notre Dame football in just a few minutes with Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com. Up to Dara Mabry, 20 seconds remaining, 15 in the shot clock and it's stolen! Perez with a basketball, Perez lays it in, the Wolfpack lead by one.
1: Yeah, uh, she turned her back, the ball was still stuck on her hip and so I went for it, got the steal, made the layup. Irish basketball,
2: six seconds left, Maddie Westbelt for three, it is short, Perez with the rebound and she's going to be fouled with a second and
1: a half remaining. And then those free throws, I mean we, we practice free throws every day in practice and we practice, we're, we're always in tough situations, and so I just knocked them down.
2: Rough ending for Notre Dame women's basketball out there Saturday in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Season comes to an end. The fifth-seeded Irish had the number one seed in the Bridgeport region, North Carolina State, on the ropes all Saturday afternoon, but they ultimately, again, they come up short in that loss to the Wolfpack. And... They fall 66-63. to They led by eight at halftime and pretty much for the entire second half until, well, not pretty much, it was the entire second half until that steal and a basket by Raina Perez, whose voice you heard there in that cut. She gets the uh, the basket, the go-ahead, at ultimately the winning basket with 14 seconds to play. Notre Dame had a chance. They They inbounded. You heard that shot there that, Came up short and hit the rim, and then Perez grabbed the rebound afterwards. It hits a pair of free throws to seal it. They advanced to the Elite Eight for the first time since 1998. The North Carolina State Wolfpack and uh, the Irish are home. Done for the season now. Here's freshman point guard Olivia Miles on what went wrong in the fourth quarter for Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, so um, it was clear that they needed stops and wanted to get stops, so they started pressuring us full court. Um, and I could have done a, a way better job of, you know, getting my team more organized. I was kind of, I was kind of quiet because I was trying to figure it out for myself, um, figure out the spots that I can go and, and get the ball up the floor, um, and that caused, you know, some of my team to do um, create turnovers, and um, I take the blame for that. But um, I was just, you know, reading what they were throwing at me. Um, I th- I thought for the most part we broke broke the press well, but um, there were lapses, and you know I take responsibility for that.
2: And you can hear the emotion in uh, in uh, Olivia Miles' voice right there. She answers that in a, uh, a you know a big situation at the end of the game. Notre Dame outscores the Irish twenty to ten in the fourth quarter. They scored twenty two points off sixteen Notre Dame turnovers in the game. But th- look, this was still a huge bounce back season. For what is a young team under second-year head coach Neil Ivy, who had this message for her team after the season-ending loss.
3: I kind of talked about um, as coaches, we always we always stress every possession matters, and so I said we just had to go to a situation um, where that is not so real, you know, as far as our defense getting a stop in our offense taking care of the ball. So I talked about how. Um, you know that's the epitome of, of when coaches say every possession matters so we talked about i talked about that but then i talked about um you know just to celebrate and actually just to acknowledge where where we where we are right now acknowledge our growth acknowledge um how far we've come you know as we're, i'm in year two uh, we didn't go to the tournament last year and i don't i don't want i didn't want my team and i told them this i don't want them to feel like this loss dict- dictates who we are because it doesn't it's, it, it's hard, um, but it's part of the game. You know, there's a winner, there's a loser, but we can always learn from it. And so that's what we're going to do. I talked about that. And I mean, I just, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to stress that to them that um, I, I don't want them to feel that this is, you know, I don't want them to feel like this is the end of the world. We have a bright future. I'm starting two freshmen and a sophomore. I have an incredible, um, an, an addition coming in next year. And and we have, you know, you know, pretty much everyone back. And, the future is really bright, and I'm really excited, um, and, and excited um, just to see who we are and and um, and what we're going to do in the future. And I talked about that.
2: Yeah, and I mean there is there is uh, so much. It it is very bright right now for Notre Dame, and you know, two years ago Notre Dame went 13 and 18 under a Hall of Fame head coach who uh, ultimately ended up retiring, and so then Ivy comes in. They're 10 and 10. Last year, their first year, just missed the NCAA tournament. They bring in two highly recruited freshmen, Livia Miles, Sonia Citron, bring in a grad transfer post player who had an injury-riddled three years at Stanford. Maya Dodson ends up being one of the best post players in the ACC and one of the top shot blockers in the nation as well. But there were still a lot of questions about this team, but they also grew a lot over the course of the season.
3: Well, um, you know, tough loss came down to one possession. Um, so she has really, I mean, really, really hard, you know, going through this type of situation scenario. Um, but I'm super proud of this, my team. I'm so proud of them. Um, you know, coming from last year, not making the tournament to being one possession away to going to the lead eight. And I talked to them about it in the locker room, um, we have come so far, um, and the growth, the maturity of this team, this entire season, the belief, the, the buy-in, I cannot ask for another special group. I I love them so much, and I'm just so proud. Um, But again, like this is this is hard. You know, it's going to take a long time to to recover. But again, I'm just so proud of um, this group, and I'm proud of you know to to be their coach and excited for the future.
2: And KK Bransford, who she mentioned in that previous clip, is the uh, the freshman coming in next year, two time Ohio. Player of the Year, Ohio Miss Basketball, K.K. Bransford, over there. And, and uh, here's uh, Olivia Miles on what she said she gained, she and her team gained from this NCAA tournament experience this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, like Coach Ivy said, you know, no one kind of thought that we'd, we'd do this um, coming from a team that didn't make the tournament last year and fought through a lot of adversity with COVID and, you know, injuries and, and players. Um it's just incredible to see what we've done, and I'm I'm sure you know we're gonna we're gonna remember this feeling like we remembered the feeling last year and come back and go even farther.
2: And there again is Olivia Miles, and as soon as Ivy took over as head coach, the first thing she did was was go out and get commitments from Miles and Sonia Citron. Miles led the Irish with 21 points in the loss Saturday. She had six assists and six rebounds as well. It really brought a flare, you know, that people all over the country are uh, are talking about who watch her. Play, but you know, she ended up first team all ACC this year, Citron ACC freshman of the year. And now you've got you know, you, you had the majority of the roster from a 10 and 10 team a year ago, and you add a couple of freshmen. And this grad transfer, Dodson, who really didn't get to play that much at Stanford, was an unknown commodity because the foot injuries that she had in her time there. But they go from 10 and 10 to 24 and 9 in one year and virtually no NCAA tournament experience, and they just miss out on a trip to the Elite Eight, and here's what Ivy says it all means for the Irish.
3: Just scouting and um, recruiting, like you just mentioned, I would go to her courts, and I'm like, wow, (laughs) because she plays with a level of swag. She's different from everyone. She's special. She has a gift. Um, She plays with a a flair, so she's always doing some type of NBA move, to be honest, moves that you see Chris Paul, John Morant, um and to have a a, um you know a player that young have um swag like that I I was always impressed because she was different from everyone else she said I was always felt like she was different and set herself apart from a lot of point guards in that in that particular class um and she's done the same thing on the floor so what you guys saw today is what what I've known I'm happy that she had a chance to really show show her skill set on the on this the biggest stage and um she she's learning a lot you know she she like she talked about she's trying she's still trying to figure things out and um I've given her a lot of freedom and I feel like that's going to help us down the road and I'm I'm honestly really proud because I know it's very hard to be able to lead a power five program and I I know it is a weight that she had to carry all season long but I'm very proud that she managed to um, continue to grow and she did whatever she could and I just love that she could Show show us her her flair and bring bring that type of flair to the women's the women's game.
2: And that was obviously Neil Ivey talking about Olivia Miles. But now here's what Ivy says: this whole thing means for Notre Dame, this experience, this season.
3: Right. Um. I mean, I've I've learned so much in the past two seasons. I've grown as a coach. I've grown as a person. Um. You know, it's hard for for every college program going through COVID. Um, navigating through that, um, that you know, recruiting, adding some incredible pieces to this program, um, having an amazing staff to work with, and having an incredible returning team, you know, this year. So I credit all of that, you know, to what we're building. It's all about um, belief. It's all about bought buy-in, and it's about commitment, and I have that. And that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited to get back to work. Maybe I'll take 24 hours off, and then I'm going to start watching film and get back to work because that's what it is. It's is a grind. Um, I'm that ne- you know, I always talked about, well, my mantra is never, never too high, never too high. <laughs> Don't ever get too high on the wins and never get too low on the losses. Obviously this is, this one hurts. It's going to hurt. But I know that, um, I'm in an, an amazing university. I have an amazing staff. I have amazing support and I have an amazing team and I'm just blessed and grateful that I get a chance to lead this group. And I'm just happy that the transition has happened so fast because I know it normally doesn't happen that fast. I was told, Oh, you're going to need three to four years. Well, I need to one. Um, And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about who I get a chance to work with. um, And I'm excited that I'm hoping that what I what we showed as a program, as a team, um, I hope that attracts even more talented players to want to play for this family.
2: Recruiting, 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 just like I talked about Olivia Miles, Sonia Citron, two huge additions to this team this year and uh, just a huge part And the first thing that Neal Ivey again did when she became a head coach was go out and get commitments from those two and to add those two. Now, again, Maya Dodson's a big part of it as well. The presence she's had in the paint for the Irish, but but those two guards really are, are, and especially Miles, just a big part of what makes things go for this team. But if I'd told Irish fans at the start of the season, they'd go 24 and nine, finish third place in the ACC, go to the sweet 16. I think I think you would have signed up for it after the last two years. But all that changed pretty quickly, and a lot of fans turned into vultures over the weekend as well, flexing the social media muscles with with threats and other garbage directed at both the players and the coaches. Here's something Olivia Miles tweeted yesterday. Death threats slash extremely hateful comments to athletes after they lose a basketball game is disgusting and completely unacceptable. We need to be better and you know she's absolutely right and all i can say is if you're one of those people who felt the need to direct your own disappointment and anger about a loss to to the the players and coaches just grow up grow up you know do you really think that you feel any worse about it than the players and coaches who actually invested hundreds of hours of practice conditioning injuries travel late nights early mornings getting back to campus Early, you know, getting up for class after getting at eight or nine o'clock after they get home at two a.m. Do you do you really think that you feel worse about it than they do? And then you you know, it's 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 again, it's the social media muscles and people who wouldn't dare say anything like this, you know, to somebody's face who who go out and do it, but the players and the coaches feel it nonetheless, you know. So. Um, But if your first response after your team loses is to threaten players and coaches or call them names on social media, it says far more about you than it does anyone else. Uh, One final thought before we uh, take our break. I'm a little bit behind now. Paul Atkinson looks like he is going to be one and done at Notre Dame. Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune uh, reporting earlier today that uh, atkinson is uh, apparently going to give it a whirl professionally won't uh won't try to come back for his fifth year other seniors you know have that super senior season of eligibility remaining dane goodwin uh, nate leschewski prentice hub they still all have decisions to make as well so but uh, paul atkinson it looks like will not be back for uh for a final season at Notre Dame. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, you'll hear from Brian Driscoll, irishbreakdown.com. We're going to talk a little Notre Dame football, a uh, big visitor to Notre Dame campus today. We will talk about that when we return. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat is brought to you by Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Tim Ground State Farm Insurance, stave money on a home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And Wings Etc. Grill & Pub with 14 Michiana area locations. Stop in today or order online at togo.wingsetc.com. Brian Driscoll and more Notre Dame football talk coming up next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Week. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Meet continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Uh, you know, I've said this before, Brian Driscoll from Irishbreakdown.com with me. It's always the stuff off the air that of course is the, the best stuff that unfortunately there's a reason there's a reason it's off the air sometimes. But
4: how you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing very very well, thank you.
2: This this all started because you heard the tail end of the previous segment when I was talking Mm -hmm. about the the unfortunate stuff that the women's basketball team dealt with over the weekend and it's just that you know the social media it's those social media Mm -hmm. muscle heads I guess you know.
4: Yeah, I have always felt that social media in some ways has been a wonderful creation, in other ways it's the worst thing that's our our society's ever created. Like yeah. from a technological standpoint, because what it's allowed people to do is like if I say something on Twitter, you know exactly who said it and where you can find me. Right. And right. so I'm not behind some behind some fake name and some fake Twitter profile and all that kind of stuff. And you get a lot of people with Twitter muscles, you know? And I've always felt that if you wanna if you wanna quit this The only way you can tweet at someone or put someone else's name in a tweet is if you have your real name, a picture of yourself, and your place of employment in your Twitter profile. You'll get a lot of (laughs) people saying a lot less stupid stuff, and you know, as I that last part, the
2: place of employment, employment, yeah, that would definitely
4: absolutely change a lot, (laughs) and it's just because, like, hey, if you want to say something stupid and you want to be a coward on Twitter then that's fine. Let me know. Let, let me tell me where you live. Give me your address and I'm going to have a couple words for you. You know, but that's what social media's done is if you want to say something like that, have the cojones to put it on a piece of paper, put your return address on there and then pop it in the mail. So that way, we can find out where you happen to live and who you are but i just i get i get tired of the people that go after play it's one thing to be critical of a player's play hey you know what you can't turn a ball over like that you need to knock down that three i don't like tweeting at players period i just you know go to the coaches tweet at me come at me i'm a professional whatever but if you're if you're giving criticism of their play it's fair game in my opinion but when you start sure. going on personal attacks and attacking people and threatening people, big difference. you are the big the, you're the scum of the earth in my opinion when right. it comes to sports fans and there's no place for you in my opinion and I wish that uh, that's but that's the one thing about social media is people can hide behind a keyboard and, and anonymity and and be cowards and that's really what it comes down to. Yeah,
2: and 99% of the time like you said, it's it's you know the 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 people who don't even put their own name and or picture you know, yeah, Olivia Miles account. will
4: destroy every single one of those uh, morons in a game of one on oh, one. If we're also being for sure, it as that's well. exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, let's move on to to hopefully some better topics. Absolutely, the rest da- of the topics they're going to be awesome.
2: Yes, Dante <laughs> Moore, the five star yeah. quarterback, was on campus today at
4: Notre Dame. I've seen all the pictures. It's of Still him on campus.
2: Still on campus right yeah, now. It's so two day visit. So mm-hmm. what do you what are you hearing right now?
4: what well, has gone very well. Look, Notre Dame over the last month especially has really done a phenomenal job with Dante Moore. And he has kind of gone on this this kind of this nationwide tour. You know, it's it's literally a bus tour with a lot of teammates and seven seven on seven teammates and things like that. And he's gone to LSU and Florida and Georgia and all these different places. And this entire time, Notre Dame's coaching staff, and it began with Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese put them in a great position early. And then over the last couple months, it's been Coach Freeman and Coach uh, Bowden getting along you know, on board with Coach Reese, and just really as a trio, just absolutely crushing this recruitment. And Notre Dame came into this visit, in my opinion, in phenomenal shape with Dante, and and now it's about this next you know forty eight hours is going to be about closing, and the staff literally laid out the red well not literally because it wasn't actually a red carpet, but <laughs> let's just say Dante's arrival into the Goog was met to uh, you know cheers and jubilation, right? And it went really well. Uh, They have made so far very sure that Dante knows that he is their guy. And that was a really risky move that the staff has made. I don't know if people realize this, but Notre Dame has turned down a commitment from one top 100 quarterback and moved back a visit of another top 100 quarterback uh, in this spring period in order to let Dante know that you're our guy. They're literally Mm -hmm. putting all their eggs in the Dante Moore basket it was a risky move but one they needed to do because that's what you had to do to have a chance to get a kid like this and so far they're knocking it out of the park and they're hoping to put themselves in position to you know secure a public commitment from him over the next month and if they can do that it's going to start a domino effect when it comes to offensive recruiting that could you know really give Notre Dame a chance for this to be a truly truly special class but he's the ringleader to that in my opinion yeah absolutely and it just kind of
2: along those lines with with this taking place right now, are we in a pretty just what you were just mentioning right there about getting this offensive hall to make this a truly special class? Are we in a pretty important stretch? Do you feel like right now for Marcus Freeman and the Irish, you know, to try to end up with one of those top rate classes when it's all said and done?
4: Absolutely. In fact, I wrote an article about this this weekend, Sean. Uh, that I, I'm sure you, you you you're referencing there, but it, it I was am basically saying the <laughs> I appreciate that uh, I I it, didn't get a chance to read it yet. I saw the yeah. headline
2: today, so right. But it's
4: it's basically the, the title is Notre Dame's quest for number one recruiting class enters a decisive month, and the the premise behind it is is that number one you've got a you've got guys like Keon Keeley, who's a five star commit to Notre Dame, and Peyton Bowen. Who's a top consensus top 100 safety uh, who are both sort of taking other visits and open to other schools right now that are currently committed to Notre Dame that are going to be making visits? Keon Keeley was on campus this weekend. They're trying to get him back for the blue gold game. Peyton Bone will be on campus in the blue gold game. You got to keep them in the class. And then over the next month, there's some big time players that, that will either make a decision to commit to Notre Dame or make a decision to drag their recruitments on which would be bad news for notre dame and it's it's guys like dante moore it's guys like braylon james it's guys like charles jagasaw who are all very very highly ranked players jason moore defensive lineman from maryland i also have an article on samuel pemba who's a five-star linebacker from florida that notre dame has been the leader for for some time he's well native of st louis he's at img in florida and then there's guys like carnell tate guys like Monroe Freeling, who's an offensive lineman from South Carolina, uh, players like uh, Jaden Asbury from Louisiana, a a, linebacker, a big-time linebacker from actually from Baton Rouge that Notre Dame has done a great job with, that you've got to get some of these guys to jump on board in April. And if you don't do that, then it's going to be almost impossible for Notre Dame to keep their number one standing. Then there's some other players that are going to be visiting in April, hopefully – that you've got to put yourself in position with that visit to then go into the summer with a chance to close. So whether it's closing in April, which is incredibly important or putting yourself in position to close in the summer, this next month is going to determine whether Notre Dame's going to have a really good top 10 class or a legitimate top one to three class with mm-hmm. a legitimate shot at number one. That's how good this class is. But if you, if you don't have big time success the next month and it all starts with Dante Moore, then it's going to be hard to maintain that that standing for Notre Dame.
2: Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com. So uh, the new defensive line coach, Al Washington, looks like he's kind of working some guys at some different positions, or he was Saturday mm-hmm. anyway. What would you think about that?
4: Well, I think it, it follows a trend of what Marcus Freeman has always said he wants to have at Notre Dame, and that's positional flexibility. And it's being able to – to be a situational football team and, and coach Freeman talked about this w- when referring to Al Golden how he feels Al Golden can bring some you know a, a greater emphasis on situational football because that's what the NFL is all about and situational football is essentially you know Sean is you know if a team's going 11 personnel you have a package for that if a mm-hmm. team goes 12 personnel you have a package for that you know we've seen coach Freeman do this in the past and you know, the uh, the Sugar Bowl – I believe the Sugar Bowl matchup against Georgia was a great example. Every time Georgia went 12 personnel, Cincinnati, who was a 3-3-5 team, would immediately run on 4-3 personnel. Like they just – hey, they're subbing, we're subbing. And it's even easier to do that in, the, in college football because if the offense subs, they will stand over the ball and give you a chance to sub. Right. So it gives you an even a greater advantage than maybe six, seven years ago before that really came into place to where if you feel like you have the versatility where, hey, look, they put their package on the field that we believe is a high-throwing package. So when they go to that package, we're going to put some of our ends on the field as tackles and get a really athletic front four that allows us to, to pass rush while also being good enough to play the run when they do run because that's the tendency we figured out. That's NFL football, right? And that's where college football is going offensively. And so you now have to be able to go that direction defensively. And a lot of teams aren't there yet. And, and Marcus Freeman sees that and knows they got to get there. And that's, I think, what a lot of this has to do with, which is, hey, look, number one, we've got to figure out ways to get our best players on the field. But number two, we're going to be able to, as a defense, make sure that we're getting our best people on the field for specific matchups. And when you play the kind of schedule Notre Dame plays with teams from all different types of leagues – you need to have that flexibility as a defense, and I really like the fact that they're they're kind of working on a lot of that. Now, it seems to me, Sean, that they're kind of say, hey, let's get everything in now, and then we have the rest next several months to kind of refine everything and figure out yeah. what we're really good at. And, you know, I, 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 I can't say that I dis, dislike that strategy. No, I would
2: agree with that. Um, what about the young I – saw, I saw a little bit of video yesterday of uh, some of these young linebackers – were you able to see any
4: of them? Yeah, a little. You talking about like the freshman kids? Or, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're athletic. I mean, that's the thing is, it, it, they're more impressive going through drills than they are going through team stuff right now because in drills they know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. And you can really see the athleticism and the length, and boy, they just add so much size. I mean, just. I mean, if you look at the linebacker position group, outside of Maris, Louisville, your next four biggest guy or longest linebackers are the, are the, are the freshman. Well, I say the next three longest linebackers are your freshmen. You look at junior two Alamaki, and you're like, that's their biggest linebacker is a freshman. I mean, he's a big boy. Uh, it's a super athletic group, but they're still learning. You know, they're swimming right now, which is going to kind of happen with freshmen. And when you're doing the, you know what we just talked about, which is they're kind of throwing a lot at them now, seeing what they can absorb, and then just, you know, keep, getting good at it uh, that's going to really hurt a freshman and it's it's a good time to do that now because you know it's kind of like in the spring you know you're throwing them into the deep end without a you know without a paddle but you know you got a lifeguard there to kind of help them along you know what I mean like it's it's uh it's just that time of year where you're not as stressed about it because you don't have a game coming up that Saturday so now's a good time to kind of do that kind of thing but they're they're super athletic but they're they're a long way away from where they need to be to help, but that's not expect, that's not unexpected after five practices. But you can certainly see the talent.
2: Wide receivers, any any early impressions on what you're seeing
4: with Chancey Stuckey in that group? Man, it's Sean. It's it's you know I'm, I'm, I say a lot of things on my board about hey, be patient. They're only five practices in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But offensive line wise and definitely defense or a receiver wise, you're seeing vast improvement from how just how they play the game i mean you're you're watching him coach i had my guys that were there kind of like video the whole receiver individual period because i wanted to hear him coaching and it's all the stuff that you know i've been talking about it's 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 releases it's emphasizing leverage and aiming points and all that kind of stuff and just really getting down to the the basics the 101s of receiver play and you're already seeing the guys start to apply that even through five practices and it's been a good sign i mean it's it's been a really positive sign talking to sources it sounds like the players are loving it like they like like you know sean great players want to be coached they want to be mm-hmm. pushed mm-hmm. and they've been very receptive to what we've seen from coach uh stuck coach east in regards to really challenging them and pushing them and teaching them they're eating it up and it's it's helped them and then that's going to help the defensive backs and the defensive line as well uh i got to be honest with you sean one of the best notes that i've gotten from sources through five practices is our defensive line's having a tough time. And the and the sources are concerned about it. I'm loving it. Because last year, this time it was like the defensive line just it was so easy for them. They just yeah. dominated the O line. Exactly. Because it was such a poorly coached unit. Now it's like they're struggling. It's the same kids that were here last year. You know what I mean? With the exception of what Kurt Heinish and and uh you know Jason Adamiola, who's not practicing but it's one of those things where it's like it's not because the players got worse it's because the other side's gotten better and they're challenging you more and i think that's going to be a great thing because it's going to it's going to get them more and more ready for what's going to come in the fall but i took that as a a good sign because it just means they're getting pushed and the same thing for the dbs when they're going against the receivers because this is a a talented group that's never been a question but they're already showing i mean we're seeing brayden lindsey make catches downfield clean with his hands we're watching guys make contested catches that wouldn't make them before. We're seeing them get off the line more effectively against the same guys they couldn't get off the line with last spring. So it's it's definitely good to see. And I think Coach Stuckey so far, it's five practices in, but so far he's, he's made a tremendous impression with this group.
2: Brian Driscoll, IrishBreakdown.com.
4: What else is going on right now? Lots of recruiting, lots of recruiting. As I said, it's a big month for Notre Dame, and we're going to treat it as such in our coverage, but also we're going to have a lot of really interesting pieces about the team and just some things we're seeing and uh, certainly some intel pieces and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to say locked in to irishbreakdown.com.
2: All right, sounds good, Brian. We will talk to you Wednesday then.
4: Yes, sir. All
2: right, Brian Driscoll, irishbreakdown.com. We'll take a timeout when we come back. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues a little Final Four Peak coming up on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Yeah. 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 It,
2: Budweiser's you. weekday sports peak continues. We've got final four men's action coming up this Saturday. Kansas against Villanova in the first game Saturday night, six oh nine. Second game, Duke North Carolina, part three for this season and the final time that Coach K will face off against his biggest rival in the second game at 9 o'clock. Kansas' last national championship, 2008. It's their first Final Four since 2018. Just their second Final Four since 2008. And, uh, of course, they lost to Villanova, the Jayhawks did, in their last Final Four trip, 2018, when Villanova went on to win the national championship, and that's who they faced, Villanova, national champions of both 2016 and 2018, but this is Villanova's first Final Four since that 2018 season. Is Villanova a blue blood? We're going to talk about that, Bobby and I, in the 6 o'clock hour here in just a little bit. Duke in its first Final Four since winning it all in 2015. Of course, of course, Coach K takes him back to the Final Four in his final season. Seven years later, but uh, Shashevsky's 12th Final Four, his first one was back in 1986 when they lost to Louisville in the National Championship game. And uh, this is also North Carolina's first Final Four since winning it all in 2017. Five Final Fours they made under Roy Williams, but uh, Hubert Davis in a Final Four in his first season. So kind of crazy when you look at this. 2015, Duke wins the national championship. 2016, Villanova wins the national championship. 2017, North Carolina wins the national championship. 2018, Villanova wins it once again. So th- three of these four schools, Duke, North Carolina, and Villanova, representing national championships from 2015 through 2018. And, of course, Kansas, also, winning a championship back in 2008. It's been a little bit longer for them. We will take a timeout when we come back. A Sports Center update. Bobby Hensley's going to join me in the six o'clock hour for rapid fire and more that's coming up on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat.
0: You are listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat
2: with Sean Stires. on Sports Radio, 960 AM, WSBT. Second hour of Budweiser's weekday sports beat. You know, one of the things I love about betting my favorite sports is I'm always finding new player props or game props that I like. And what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine prop bets from multiple games and now even multiple sports as well. It's called Same Game Parlay Plus, and you can find them only on FanDuel Sportsbook. Combine NBA player props you love with your favorite NHL scores for a chance to score an even bigger payout. If you don't want to build your own same-game parlay, just check out their popular same-game parlay section. You can join the bets and other, that other users are jumping on. Earlier this season, over 14,000 customers won a total of $1.1 bucks during the Bucks at Lakers game. So if you're new to FanDuel, sign up with my promo code WSBT. Get $150 in-site credit guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Make every moment more and download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Just use my promo code WSBT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Indiana. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after retreat. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Who wants to have some fun? Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Bobby thought I was just going to leave him sitting over there. That's fine. Not talking for for an hour or so. I brought a water.
5: I could watch the show. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's not the most entertaining hour of my life, but... (laughs) How you doing? Great. How are you doing? Doing good. We both got teams in the Final Four. Yeah, that's nice. Blue Blood programs. (laughs) So to speak. Yeah. Yeah, KU had a nice little run. They did. Still are. They did. You know, did you buy into this whole...
2: Because these ACC teams are having ACC teams are having good tournaments, that like all of a sudden means that the ACC was not down this season.
5: Yeah, I can live with that. I think I could. I think the ACC wasn't respected enough, so maybe it was down a little, but it wasn't down as much as people thought.
2: Yeah, maybe they weren't respected. Bec- but then, you know again, like I, I definitely think you know, just like look at where North Carolina they were an eight seed, right? barely made the tournament tied with notre dame for second in the acc notre dame ends up with an 11 seed has to play a play-in game so i mean notre dame specifically didn't get a lot of respect and a lot notre of them
5: you know proved themselves i think with two wins and being yeah. up against texas tech in a game they shouldn't even have been competitive with you wouldn't think based on seeding i just don't but, buy tournament success i was gonna means ask. x because look for at St. For Peters. a conference,
2: look yeah, for a conference exactly. Look at St. Peter's is the MAC, you know, the AA MAC.
5: Mac, like,
2: are they? <laughs> is that conference all of a sudden great
5: because St. Peter's went to the Elite Eight? You could argue though the other way. That's one team that made it. that had a couple wins, which also had upset Rick Pitino's Iona it's to a, even make the tournament. It's a tournament run though. But but when you have three teams make the Elite Eight. I don't know. It's tough to say that conference isn't maybe the best conference. No, that just means that things went right for those teams along the way.
2: Now, now Carolina had to beat a number one seed to get there. Was Baylor really worthy of a number one seed? I think you might be able to argue that.
5: Miami had to beat
2: a number two seed in Auburn. Yeah, look at
5: look at Miami. They had to play another double digit seed. Well, here's here's your counter argument to what your side should say. Look at Virginia Tech, who won the ACC tournament. How far did they make it? <laughs> yeah. Lost in the first round. Right. So th- that's your champion. So if your champion loses in the first round, the thing that's frustrating, specifically for me as a Carolina fan, hearing and being in South Bend with Notre Dame, is hearing about how the ACC is so far down. And then you look at a conference that was by far the best conference mm-hmm. was the Big Ten, and they had one team that made the Sweet Sixteen and they lost or Elite Eight. Yeah, they, they didn't advance. We place or, too much team, value
2: yeah. on teams winning a couple of games in a conference tournament, for one. We place too much value on that, and I think in part because of immediacy. And mm-hmm. we place too much value on things that happen in a one-and-done tournament. Crazy things happen every year. And it doesn't... It doesn't mean the Big Ten was bad this year. It doesn't mean the ACC was just completely overrated. And see, look at all these great teams. It's still a, a top-heavy conference because look at how it ended up shaking out. Duke and Carolina, the two traditional teams to begin with, maybe maybe Carolina just needed a little bit longer to come together because there's obviously talent on that. With team. a new coach. Yeah, with a, with a first year head coach and the whole thing. Who hadn't
5: been a coach. It wasn't even like he, yeah. you know, come in. And then in the like,
2: other one, Duke. Duke is still really Duke. Good. yeah.
5: You know? But they're, I mean, you're still looking at a team that made their first Final Four since 2015. Mm-hmm.
2: It's so. That's I, what's crazy, is but, it's been seven years since they've been there before, you know, the last time.
5: And then the other thing, you got to look at the dynamics. What do you consider a good, underrated, up or down conference? It, is it top heavy? Is it getting three teams the Elite Eight? is it having half your your conference be above 500 is it just winning the championship what makes what's success what's up what's down cuz that's another thing and people only watch basketball by and large the last few weeks so then they're going to base their entire season on oh that conference must have been down cuz i saw how Iowa lost in the first round and they yeah. were such a good run in the Big Ten tournament, but that doesn't mean anything. Just, just every game is about
2: matchups, though. It's right. all about matchups from round to round. And again, I just I don't, I don't think you can place too much value or importance on things that happen in a one-and-done tournament where crazy things happen every year. Because
5: even Carolina, okay, yeah, they, they got an eight seed, but that's only because they beat Duke right before the end of the season. They mm-hmm. were on the bubble before that. Are they in? Are they out? But then you see their run. They beat Baylor the defending champion but Baylor was missing one of their players due to injury and then Carolina had to beat St. Peter's to go to the final four which good you know good run on St. Peter but like that's not a marquee win right at any point in the season so yeah the fact they made the final four is neat and it's a good run but does that validate their whole season you mean the elite eight no I'm saying North Carolina Oh, North Carolina I'm sorry does that, I mi- you were does that validate about St. Peter yeah because i sure for St. Peter's it definitely does.
2: Well, and that's you know like that was the other thing. It was funny because you know, as a Kansas alum, well, you've talked about it on this show, but I saw more of the Kansas State fan tweets last night about oh, has any number one seed ever had an easier run to the Final Four than Kansas? And all this different stuff. And it's you know again, it's like Baylor lost to a, a, a freaking eight seed in the second round. It. It it happens every year. There, these upsets happen. It doesn't matter who you play on your path to get to the final four in the championship game. It just matters that you get there. And only it's like only only a salty Kansas State fan who you know. Doesn't know anything about being in the NCAA tournament, let alone the (laughs) Final Four, let alone winning national championships. And I hope there's some Wildcats out there listening to this. Right? Probably not in this area. (laughs) But still, it's like it's the typical stepbrother Wildcat fan. It's like, you know, they they don't have success of their own. So now they're going to pick apart a Kansas team because they spend more time hating Kansas than they do. Pulling for their own team.
5: It's just, the whole tournament. It's the, it's the appeal. It's the magic that we all love about it. Yeah. I mean, when, when our teams are in the Final Four, it's easy to look back and say that. Right. But that's the, that's the whole thing: is the matchups, the random games, the random times. Because after the first weekend, this big tournament that's amazing is whittled down to sixteen already, and only one team's going to win six games in this tournament. Well, unless you win an opening round game. Is it but- is it disappointing at all that we we
2: are left with? these perennial power type programs in the final four after all of this because that's that's what typically I think is a turnoff for a lot of people. It's like we spend the first couple of weekends talking about St Peter's and even Miami attends, you know those kind of teams making these runs, the Cinderellas. But then when it's all said and done, this is by and large what we end up with is still, the, the top teams and the top programs. Every once in a while, you get a VCU or George, know, George Mason. Mason those yeah. kind of
5: schools will slip through. But No, I think this is exactly what it is because like, the people that are following the St. Peter's run, those are what I call like Olympic-style sports fans. They don't really know sports or care about <laughs> it. They're into the tournament because, wow, I'm going to fill out a bracket. Right. And they're trying something. They haven't followed it all year. They haven't watched a game all year since yeah. the last tournament ended they they have no interest or they don't can't name three players in the whole tournament or five teams probably but and then that's what makes them have fun and then once the Cinderella's out it becomes a sporting event again so let me ask you this Bob Huggins West Virginia coach of mm-hmm. course former
2: Huggy Bear Huggy Bear that's right former Kansas State former Cincinnati head coach as well he says they should just get rid of the small schools in the NCAA tournament and play with
5: just power five schools. Do you buy or sell that? <laughs> That's the only way he's going to make a good run, isn't it? <laughs> I buy. I buy because, like I'm just saying, those Olympic style fans I call it. You know what I mean? Like people watch the Olympics and don't watch sports for three years. Like all of a sudden they're watching soccer and uh, snowboarding halfpipe, and uh, they don't know anything about sports. They just are figure skating. They're following the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. That's what the, um, the early stages of this tournament are fun. Because of those m- random upsets, and everybody fills out a bracket. So you'd want, has you fun. want to get rid of
2: that? You want no, to I'm get saying, rid of the small schools?
5: I'm sorry. I, I, you, so I you're sell selling. his idea. You're selling. Okay, buy, okay. keep it. But okay. yeah, yeah, sell his idea of just the Power Five. Okay. Because, and then at the end of it, you still are just getting the Power well, Five kind of conferences. So, no, I think it's the best of both worlds right now, and that's what the mystique is of March Madness. You get those small schools making runs, but at the end of it you end up with the good teams.
2: That's right. And this is what we had that question. I can't remember if I asked you this. Would you rather have a team full of, you know, seniors, but no NBA first-round type guy, or would you rather have a young freshman-laden team with the NBA You know, would you rather have young NBA freshman talent or would you rather have a senior-laden team when you're playing in the tournament? And I would rather, because I would rather have senior, the senior, right. well, no, I would rather have the, the NBA talent, <laughs> yeah. basically. Oh, okay. Like, if I had to choose one of the two, because this is what I said, the senior-laden guys, the senior-laden teams, are going to help you pull off, you know, the first and second round upsets, get you to the Sweet 16, maybe to the Elite Eight. In a eight. close game, you but can But again, them. when yeah. you look at the numbers, look at what we're left with at the end. All four of these teams have NBA talent. On them. So right. that's why I would rather have the team, not necessarily with the senior experience, because the talent by and large is going to win. Now, there are exceptions, obviously. but That's why they play but the again, game. Look at the numbers. The numbers say it is the more talented team that is going to find its way to the end of this rainbow and be in the final four and win a national championship.
5: I'd like to start, like, what is the lowest seed to ever win the whole tournament? Was it Villanova in 85? I think they were like an eight, back I think then? they were. Yeah. And an eight that's a low seed, and that's why it's the lowest, I mm-hmm. believe. They still had to beat at a one in the second round, but once you beat that one seed, you just defeated your bracket kinda. Now you're the yeah. one seed. Yeah. And it wasn't that's like the they biggest, were bad.
2: Not the biggest, but that's obviously the right theoretically the best team that you're gonna play until you get to the final, final four a national championship. Yeah.
5: So when you talk about numbers, there's been an eight seed that's won it all, but mostly it's all those high seeds that win. And a couple of them get knocked out early, and that's what we enjoy, and that's what we love at you know, one forty-five on a Thursday afternoon. There's a really important game that could be – and how many of those games are close? And then the higher seed does win. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow. They, I remember it was Holy Cross in Kansas. I remember one year had a really close game. They did. And it was a 16 and a 1. Mm-hmm. And that was before Virginia lost to UMBC, is that. But it was like, oh, could it happen? And then Kansas ended up winning by 9, which – it was a tight game early, but they're all tied at zero when they start, right. So if you just don't pull away until later, is it really that close of a game? But we feel like it is because it's March Madness. And we're watching so I, I love the way the tournament set up because I, oh, again, I do too. you get all those fans all year and everybody fills out their bracket, but then you still end up, the cream rises to the top,
2: yeah. And that's the little schools make it fun, you know, Mm -hmm. the St. Peter's, unless you're Purdue and you happen to be playing St. Peter, you know, or or Kentucky for that matter. But there was a tweet from some Kentucky guy, you know, before that first round game, two seed versus a 15 who was like, oh my gosh, Kentucky is so much bigger and quicker and faster. They're going to be able to do anything and everything they want, anytime they want in this game. Look what happened.
5: Well, and that's kind of like Purdue. They have Eddie, who's over seven foot tall and... St. Peter's had no one that could compete with that, yeah. but it they had a good enough scheme. It didn't work, and that's why their coach left before the team flight almost for Seton Hall. Yeah, that was amazing, the fact that <laughs> yeah. his his agent was obviously out there uh, working it for him.
2: I don't know. See, no, I, I mean, I guess he's from Jersey and, and all that.
5: But you talk stuff, about a tournament man. run, and if it validates a conference for a season, I guess a few wins in a tournament can validate a coach. I mean, coach. it
2: validates a coach
5: for sure. That's right. Yeah. But – but, It's way different. I'm just kind of saying how crazy that was. No, that's exactly
2: right. You know, because now the question for him is going to be: Okay, he's proved he can coach, and he can. He's proved he can. You know, coach in that situation. Now you're moving up to the Big East. Can you recruit to the Big East? What kind of talent? You know, it's so you're not just overachieving. Now can you go out and get those one or two prospects and you know go head to head with well, Villanova that kind of thing.
5: And I keep thinking of a guy named Shaka Smart who had two tournament runs. Yeah. One of them he had to play the playing game and made the final 4. Yep. But when he went to Texas that didn't last long and he's yeah. ended up now at, Marquette he's at Marquette now. Marquette? And yeah. he left it was one of those you can't fire me I quit like he left on his <laughs> own terms kind of to go to Marquette. I it's but that's the example to me of a coach that had a good run that everybody thought was sure fire. And then,
2: well, you know, and he stuck around at VCU for a couple of years, even after that. And he, you know, it was really like, is he ever going to leave? What's he going to do? He finally, he goes to Texas. He's got all these resources and you're right. It it just never worked out out for him. And maybe he's better off in a a little bit different environment. Going back to Marquette being the little
5: brother, as you said earlier about Kansas state. (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) Well, before we take our, timeout do you buy you know speaking of okay you've got north carolina duke kansas three i think we can all agree blue bloods right villanova where do you stand on villanova do you buy or sell villanova as a blue blood
5: i'm in gonna sell basketball so they had such a gap in their resume if you want to call it that for the blue blood blue bloods i you know they have three national championships that's pretty good but I don't think that's enough to make them a blue blood program. I would put and how many blue? I think like Final Four, like a Mount Rushmore type situation. Well, and where I would throw Kentucky up above them. That's
2: exactly right because I think it comes to what's what's the true definition of blue blood. And like if you think blue blood, it is you're you're sort of tied back to to royalty kind of thing. Isn't that kind of where the blue blood thing came from? Like you're you're you're. You know, tied back sort of to a long story, like the traditions of college basketball, the history of college basketball. And when you look at Duke, North Carolina, I mean Kansas, obviously James yeah. Smith invented, invented, invented the sport, <laughs> yeah. and he's the first coach at Kansas. And and you know the origins that came there, and then North Carolina, the long tradition and and the championships in the history. Duke, the same. UCLA, I put. I would in put that them mix. up. Now they've obviously been down. You know, and had had some, you know, up and down periods, but I still consider them there. Indiana, I think, is still there because of the history. Now that's one
5: I would argue that, that one.
2: people are, you know, it because of but they the, last, the last
5: twenty years. But they have the last undefeated season. that's very true. That's
2: very true. And Kentucky, I think you have to put in there as well. Villanova has recent success. They've been really good, but I just like, that tradition in history, I just don't see it. I I don't think you can – because that's what I've seen a lot of people saying, well, they've won two national championships since 2016. They're a blue that's blood. Nothing. To me, that's not enough – that's that's not really meeting the definition of what a blue blood right. is. It's uh, You still have to have that tradition, I think, that comes with it. It's not just about recent success.
5: I completely agree. I don't think it's just recent success. I think on top of that like, – I think you need multiple regimes of success. That's probably a good one right there. Because I think you look at, like, Florida with Billy Donovan. They were dominant. Yeah. Like, amazingly dominant. Yeah. I mean, there was a but time they're not if even you were close just going to say, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, that's exactly right.
5: You know, and then there's these other neat little teams that have had niches where they've had little runs, maybe a good class or two. But I think you need su- sustainable success over two regimes, which... I think Shashesky is two regimes in himself. I'm not saying they aren't. Well, but I mean, that's a
2: good point because I mean the guy's been coaching for what 42, 43 years at right. this point. So most programs are going to so, go through at least three, if not four, or five head coaches in that amount of same amount of time. Okay, who? I we, mean, let's look at
5: Kansas alone. Oh God, it's amazing they've held up what what they have. Cause yeah, Roy kind of.
2: But I mean, you got Roy and Bill Self, and obviously you had Larry Brown before that.
5: Larry Brown was he's anywhere. Larry Brown's Ben's a blue blood program. Let's just say I'm joking because <laughs> he was at UCLA for a spell, wasn't he? I think yeah. a year and then yeah. he got them pretty good and then left. He's never he's always had his briefcase ready to go wherever is needed. That's very but, true. OK, who's more of a blue blood program in your opinion? Villanova or Syracuse?
3: Mm.
2: See, I've never really considered Syracuse in that mix, though. Okay. only one national championship you know again right. like Bayheim's been there forever but only one national championship and prior to Bayheim you know I now realized that with, with so the as three long as championships there, outweigh that
5: but I just I feel like they just had such a gap in success they won in 85 as an eight seed and it's not luck it's skill but then besides that it took them until recently to have two out of five years of championships right that doesn't mean that you're a blue blood that means you've had a nice little run with Wright as your coach and okay good but you're you need more seeing like louisville like where do where,
2: you know where do you put louisville because you had denny Crum, and obviously you had patino winning his championship where so do you
5: put them one more quick question then do you have to have current success to still be a blue blood or can you lose that see that's where indiana is kind of that's on the bubble Right. And so it's kind of Louisville. I mean, they were good for a while, and mm-hmm. then not, and then good, and then not now. But they're only, what, eight years removed from a championship mm-hmm.
2: that technically doesn't exist anymore.
5: Well, but <laughs> There's that, too. Yeah. So I, I would not put Villanova as a blue blood. They're just, I feel like now we're trying to put too much. It's like the elite quarterback question in the NFL. Yeah. If you have to wonder, you're not.
2: Rapid fire and Budweiser's weekday sports beat continue on Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. Were you watching the Oscars last night? I wasn't, but Might I tuned in. Uh, no, not live. That was crazy. I was watching something totally. I was watching. I was actually watching Winning Time, the Lakers thing. I watched that as well last night. And uh, there's another good episode. But this series Spot. has turned out better than I thought.
5: Starting to get into basketball now too.
2: Um. So I finished the episode, I flip back, or I flip over to the Oscars, and Will Smith wins the best actor, and he's crying and giving that weird speech, I thought. <laughs> and I had no idea what I- what any of it had to do with anything until I got up this morning and then see all the video <laughs> of everything that happened last night.
5: You know what's absolutely hilarious is I had the same exact evening you did. Really? I, I saw his speech, I just randomly tur- turned on you know, about eleven fifteen or whatever. Uh-huh. And he was giving the speech and he's crying and he's like, I hope the Academy invites him back. I'm like, Well, that's a weird comment. I thought <laughs> I maybe he was taking a shot at them or something. The about- Turns out he took a shot at Chris Rock.
2: Yeah. So what do you what do you think? Was it was it real or was it staged? I think it
5: had to have been staged. You think I just think that I knew you would have that take. I just I'm skeptical on everything, right? I think there might have been – I don't know. I have no idea why, but just the way – But I think, one, the way Chris Rock reacted, like he
2: was – he didn't know how to respond, you know, like when he was kind of like trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing next? Because then when Will Smith sits down –
5: That's the part that makes me think it could be real. And he starts yelling. Yeah.
2: That's when it's like – This wasn't supposed to happen. Because in one of the videos, I think it was like John Boy or one of those, you know, was doing kind of a breakdown – I think when you watch Will Smith, like, it definitely was like a movie hit. You know, like, he didn't double up his fist. The way he, right. he sw- and like, you notice, like, how far away he stood from him and the whole thing. And Chris Rock like, stood
5: there with his arms behind his back. It
2: was like he hit him, you know, like, like a setup kind of hit. Like, there was, like, he definitely hit him.
5: Yeah, but you get but more noise like, that way, too. It was
2: almost like he w- This is this is what I think. OK, because <laughs> okay. let me go back before that, like when Chris Rock tells the joke, which wasn't a good joke to begin with about the G.I. Jane, but it wasn't an offensive joke either, Mm-mm. unless he knows. I, I don't think he knew about Will Smith's wife. It doesn't matter from your perspective, what you saw, right. the joke, and then. But you see the reaction on her face, which is like she hmm. was not happy. But yeah. Will Smith is laughing yeah. very hard when he hears the joke. But then they cut away. And the next thing you know, Will Smith is coming up on. The relationship that Will and Jada have, right? If you've read anything about it, it is very I think that he sees her reaction. He's like, oh, this is my chance to win her back. He's got to, like, either she said something, he saw her reaction, whatever. He feels like he's got to put on some kind of show to prove to her that, you know, he's, you know, got her back or whatever it happens to be. So he goes up and he hauls off and And he hits Chris Rock and he comes back down and then, he, you know, get my wife's name out your effing mouth and all that. You know, he says it twice, twice, loudly. Yes, that's very louder the second time. I think it was basically his, if you want to call it cuckold or whatever response to his wife that he felt like he had to to make some kind of public display to, to stand up for his wife like, i am not saying it's right or wrong either way right. that's that's just that's, what i think that he did
5: i think you're right i think there's a lot to unpack there yeah. i think if you just look at the the joke the punt or the, the the contact i'll call it mm-hmm. not even but like in wrestling that's how they hit people to make noise they slap and that's, and they chop. that's
2: that's what i was you know like they they teach them right how to how to make that hit so that it makes noise. that was on himself
5: not at me by the right. way no right just, but
2: he did it Right, he, he it. knew he did he was it because doing. he wanted to do it, but he also didn't want to just haul off and and knock Chris Rock out on stage.
5: I almost wonder if the first laugh at the joke was like, "All right, I'm going to go slap this guy." Like, <laughs> I don't think maybe he wasn't laughing at the joke or like, you know, take because he knows there's a camera in his face, right? So I think he might have already thought like, "All right, I'm going to have to go punch this guy." <laughs> so that if you want to look like that, laugh might not have meant everything that everybody says. But when so he's, you're
2: saying like maybe more nervous laughter yeah, than anything. Yeah,
5: or like anger, raging. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you laugh. Or like, he's trying to play it off because mm-hmm. he knows there's a camera on him. And then he yeah. just knows he can't because as soon as the camera leaves is when he walks up. Then also when he slaps when he turns around, the first thing you see on his face is a smile. like Or like a smirk almost, which could mean anything. Who knows? But it just wouldn't... I guess I'm, I'm in the middle. I honestly don't know what I feel about it. Not that it matters what I feel, but I'm saying it could have been real. The theatrical... Oscars could have produced this because and how many people saw that on Twitter or wherever and then watched the end of the show
2: and the Oscars have been desperate for ratings (laughs) and they kept promoting
5: but again I only
2: stumbled on to the end of the show when he you know, makes his acceptance speech by sure. total mistake. I didn't see any I'm of this both. happening. You know,
5: but I think by and large, other people did tune in to see that speech or to see what would happen later, to see if something was going to come up. And they advertised it as the biggest open ever, and anything can happen. It's the Oscars or something like that. And so I almost wonder if. But then I also read a tweet that said that there was publicist going up to him the whole right. rest of the show and pulling him aside, which all could be for the theatrical response. I it's wild either way. I just I don't think it's a bad way to get ratings if that's what you're going for. Yeah,
2: I don't think it was a setup. Yeah. But again, like when you look at Chris Rock's and he response, was response and he's like because then he starts he's stumbling like, like what he, he says something to like man I could you know because after the
5: whole he said you know, Will Smith just slapped the crap out of me
2: right but then he also it was like he was start he started to say there's some stuff I could say right now but I'm not going to say you know because. That's kind of what he started to say, but he cut himself off, and he tries to go on. And then he to says the next thing, and he know? says
5: something like, uh, "Then when he tried to get back on, like, and 'And we're going to show you a docu- uh, the award for the best documentary.' Right. So I think he was seeing red and ready to say stuff, and was bringing himself. It was just a weird situation. Very however, crazy. you want
2: to very crazy dissect it. I know. All right. Well, you know, we were just talking about back to sports, coaches, <laughs> and Coach K. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be retired next week maybe and yeah that's unless he pulls a Tom Brady right yeah that leaves you Jim Bayheim, one of the last what you might call iconic college basketball coaches remaining scale of one to ten how much are we going to you know how much is the game going to miss these guys these icons of coaching you know because now you're going to have Coach K leaving Roy Williams just retired last year again Jim Boeheim is still around but like you know like we don't have Dean Smith anymore we don't have Bobby Knight Gene Kate you know if you want to include like Gene K. all the courts are that, already named like all these guys yeah. like it like you're in this as well cuz you were born in the middle of the 80s like all these guys have been coaching for virtually my whole life you know not my whole life but a, you know a good portion of it anyway like what i remember of college basketball how much do you think we're going to miss these guys
5: when they're gone Us, I don't think we will. I they somebody once told me the NBA has star players whereas college has star coaches, Mm -hmm. but I think we've already lost enough of them that we're just accepting it and it's just different because it used to be you went to a program and you wanted to build that program. I mean, look at college football like Bobby Bowden built Florida State, there's no question about that. Beamer built Virginia Tech, these guys were legends. And when they left it didn't really matter it mattered in the moment they were retiring but then the next year everybody's just ready to see how their team does. I yeah. don't think anybody's going to the next guy. miss the coaches and you still have Izzo at Michigan State. Good call. I I left him out of there. I shouldn't have. And so I I feel like you still have a, enough of um fingerprints and coaches trees. It's not it's not the same when you see the program and it won't be coach K at Duke and I'm not hating on them even though I'm a Carolina fan. I'm saying it will be different initially. But next year, by December, you're going to remember him, but then it, it's like any other memory. It's a memory. It, he doesn't – I think like it's almost hurting Carolina's run to have Roy in the stands. It's like just – I don't know. Give it to Hubert Davis. Let him be the new face of it. It's like a politician. How much uh, – the sides – Well, he still supports the program, though. Right. Yeah, it was, it was Side, a big part of his life. So Sides apart, though. like You move on to the next thing and buy into that or – you know, go into that, what could be better, what could be worse. It's the same thing with coaching. You can you're gonna have a new coach. He could be better than Coach K who know you know, I doubt it, but you never know. I think it, you know,
2: we were just talking about which are the blue blood programs and all that stuff and we include Duke in there. I'm really curious, like twenty years from now, is Duke still Duke without Shashevsky?
5: Because you know, they, they have all the tools. They have a, a, a history of success. They have that stadium that's incredible atmosphere. They have all these things. but does And they have the blue blood success, yes. Is that a recruiting tool? Yes. But it's almost like Nebraska football or Notre Dame football for a while there. You're going to lose kids if you're not good for 10 years. They're not going to remember when Duke was Duke. Yeah. And that's like, to me, when
2: I was growing up in Kansas – there was tradition in history of Kansas basketball. And my grandparents lived in Lawrence, you know, so we went there a lot. Didn't go to games and all that stuff. But Ted Owens was the coach at that time. Nobody remembers Ted Owens, but you remember, you know, names like Dick Harp, who was there for a long time. Fogg Allen, obviously. Named after the you field know, house, Yeah, you know. James Naismith, you know, those kind of names. It wasn't until Larry Brown, Roy Williams that really the program you know got back to its roots essentially you know there was some early success that Ted Owens had in the 70s but there was also he ended up getting fired by the time it was yeah. all said and done and that led to Larry Brown you know before they got back on track so i'm i'm really it's because of what you just said pro sports are about the players but the college sports are about the coaches because if they're successful they can stay there for a long time you know and again like we were just talking about Villanova and whether or not they're a blue blood. Well, what happens when Jay Wright's gone? Because again, Raleigh Massimino won a national championship as a Cinderella in 1985. But there was a huge gap of really average basketball.
5: In conferences that weren't quite as challenging. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it (laughs) took Jay Wright, for that matter, a long time. Like, Jay Wright... If he had been at a place like Duke or Kansas or Kentucky, he would have been gone before he ever got to a Final Four and won a national championship. He he got to stay on there because they're not in that echelon. Or, you know, for a long time they weren't in that echelon.
5: And you could almost argue that some of Villanova's highest-rated teams did not win championships. Yeah. Because they weren't getting tested all season, and then they get to it. The other thing is um, Mike Bray's been at Notre Dame for how many years? What is this, 22? Yeah. Do you yeah. think there will ever be a coach that lasts 22 years at a Power 5 conference that only has two Elite 8s?
2: Well, again, it's it's about... Yeah.
5: Yeah. But I'm saying, like, so the, the longevity that Cho- Coach K has had, and he took a while to win a championship there. So I think that it's just going to be different forever, so we might think of him fondly just because of his length, his longevity. Same mm-hmm. thing with Beheim, who you said only won one championship. Right. So it's the length, and it's that you know, like... Beheim, he kind of changed defense and the way people think about it with his zone. Coach K has just changed and he's evolved with the times a little bit, you know, into the one and duns and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I think that we'll think of Coach K as a legendary coach. But I think Duke, if they just keep going and winning, I don't think it matters that he won't be there for it. That's if though,
2: right? We got to see just exactly what Shire is all about. You know, like uh, just like look at North Carolina for example, Guthridge came in, got to the Final Four in his first year, and it didn't take long. Man, that whole thing fell apart. They brought in Matt Doherty. They thought they were, you know, Mm -hmm. again, going into that family, and it got even worse, and then they had to go to Roy and steal him away from Kansas.
5: And he (laughs) didn't even care about that Carolina job if you ask him after the game.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right, after 2003, after they lost to Syracuse. That's right, that's right. All right. We'll take another time out, and we come back. Our last segment, more rapid fire on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Blair. Budweiser's weekday sports beat and rapid fire coming to our conclusion here tonight with Bobby Hensley, end of a Monday. Sean Stiers. That's right. No more basketball for me. We've got the Final Four this weekend. No more traveling around. It's uh, spring football practice and all that good stuff. And we'll, we'll have South Bend Cubs baseball actually starting here pretty soon, too. Yeah, beginning in May, is it, that their
5: first games are?
2: Uh, I'm going to have to double-check that.
5: Is it even earlier than that?
2: I thought it was April. Jeez.
5: Still. Yeah. It starts earlier. I know. Nice and cold for baseball.
2: It is. It is. Fill in the blank. It's blank that some fans directed death threats and other anger at Notre Dame women's basketball players and coaches after Saturday's loss to North Carolina State.
1: I
5: think it's complete garbage would be the word I use. Fan is short for fanatic, but that's taking it way too far. The, no, the people that are throwing those are usually not the ones that have ever played anything in their life, and they just watch one game one time, and they feel like they have the knowledge base to just tell these players that are doing it wrong and why threaten anybody's like I'm nobody's perfect so what I want to go to the the, where these people work and I want to see what they do for a living and I'm sure they suck at it and I just want to make fun of them and let them know that that they aren't very good as humans or at their job that's
2: that's very well said I mean you nailed all the points right there and the first thing you said I think is absolutely right they never played it before I'm sure, and the fact that you have this kind of anger about a team that you're supposed to be a fan of loses that you cheered for for 35 games this year, like you, you know, you and I, we're both fans of different teams. Mm -hmm. Are you like, what's your typical reaction if you have you know like a disappointing end to us, you know, whether it's a playoff loss or whatever? Is it anger at the players for
5: losing, or is it just general like, I'm so ticked off that they lost? You know? In college especially, I usually go after th- – in my mind, I'm like, dang it, maybe that coach isn't the right one. <laughs> and I wouldn't say dang it. I'd be using other words. Right. Because like when Carolina was blowing it to Baylor, I had a mental meltdown, and it was just frustrating because my bracket had Carolina going, Carolina's my team. And then when they started to lose it, I got mad for a minute. But then it's like, well, you know what? I can't control it. I'm just watching it. And, yeah. I- and then I-, I come down, and then I'm okay. And I never would take the time to tweet at a player – to let them know I'm angry See, much less threaten anything right
2: and it's yeah and it's like I might you know like I used to make fun of Jason Garrett you know on on Twitter the Cowboys head coach those kind of things but like yeah in the 2007 NFC playoffs when the Giants beat the Cowboys the Giants were the wild card the Cowboys had won the division the Giants and Eli go there that was the year they ended up uh ending the Patriots what Perfect season. Perfect season and all that stuff. And 0, yeah. Patrick Creighton dropped a ball that would have been like a 70-yard touchdown late in the game. Cowboys probably would have won if he holds on, but he drops this easy ball. But, you know, and it's like – so I've kind of lamented Patrick Creighton over the years, but never was I like, oh, Patrick Creighton, I hate you, I can't stand your ugly – you know, any of this kind of stuff. I, so I just, I just can't – you know, like with me, I'm just usually miserable – You know, like for a day or two, and then it's kind of like it it kind of segues into general, you know, like disbelief. Like, okay, (laughs) I I just spent another year investing my time in this team, and here we are, same result, that kind of stuff. And then within a week or so, it kind of goes – I just can't imagine directing this kind of venom specifically at a person or a player. You know, again, like using social media, and I was talking to Brian Driscoll about it in the last hour and he's absolutely right it's just like that like for for the for whatever good there is with social media it's this kind of stuff that's ugly that just is so ugly about it and he was right it's like most of these people who do this don't put their actual name on their account they don't put their actual picture on their account all this kind of stuff but the players still receive you know and the coaches still receive this kind of stuff regardless
5: well you I'm, know? I'm not taking the side of the idiots but you know that's got to be part of what you're used to almost as a coach or a player you know you hit the game winning shot everybody loves you you miss that same shot by this like, but it's also human inch. nature right. i mean
2: think about when you're criticized or critiqued for whatever whether it's work or you know by someone that you know whatever it happens to be it's nine someone can say 99 good things about you but it's the one negative thing that sticks with you and if it's you know this personal, where it where it goes into death threats and you know whatever other kind of you know physical threats. Any of this, it it just makes it even worse. And of course, it's going to stick with you.
5: Yeah, I I can't imagine receiving a death threat. Like, open up my Twitter just because I I disagree with someone or didn't made a bad shot. Yeah, or, you know, and then whatever. all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm going to kill you. It, it just
2: right. It, that's it's that's, it's one thing to to criticize or critique a player for their play. It's another thing to make it personal and, and actually go after these people in whatever form. So
5: Yeah, I can't imagine putting all that on my shoulders. I, it's just complete garbage. I can't even think of like how I would reply because who wants to do that? I know.
2: All right, well, we're going to have to wrap it up tonight, Bobby. On that
5: positive note. Yes, that's <laughs> right.
2: I think it had been like two weeks since you were in here. Good, yeah. Good to see you again. It's
5: good to see you. We'll have to do this again in a few weeks. Seriously.
2: <laughs> We're brought to you by Budweiser, Midland yeah. Engineering Company, Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance, Barnabees of Mishawaka, and Granger, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, the Mishawaka Education Foundation, and Wings Etc. Grill and Pub. By the way, Paul Maneri joins me tomorrow at 5:30 on weekday Sports Beat. We're going to uh, begin our celebration of the 20th anniversary of the 2002 College World Series team. So that is coming up tomorrow at 5:30 on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Are you a business owner worried about
0: the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure offsite backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com.